The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Let's pray real quick, and we're going to run. I tell you, we are going to run through this passage, and you guys have never seen me preach a uh, 20-ish minute sermon, but we're going we're gonna to aim for that today. Father, I thank you for, again, for your word, for your grace. God, I thank you for uh, the fact that uh, I'm a part of your family and, God, that you've brought in even uh, new members to be a part of our local body here, this local expression of the church. Father, we do again. God, I just, I continue to pray that you would open my heart, that you would awaken my soul, and that our church, you would awaken us to the beauty that is found in Jesus Christ. You bring a gospel, spirit-driven awakening to our hearts that we, would, uh, that we would see you for who you really are and our lives would erupt in worship to that, and that by doing so, you would have eyes who are around us who are blinded at this point to Jesus Christ, the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus. They would, uh, their eyes would be open to see that. God, um, you've brought us out of Egypt if we are a believer here this morning, and I pray that as you uh, send us back, that you would go with us in power to awaken eyes. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So we're in the middle of our... Uh, series on Exodus. It's called Exodus, Our Journey. That's really what the word Exodus means. It means a journey. And in particular, in this book, it's a story about it's the, of the journey of the people of God from slavery, from oppression, from the uh, bondage and slavery that they experienced in the country of Egypt to the promised land that God promised them. Uh, the quick story that we've gone over just real lightly every week is that Abraham, God came to him and he said, hey, I'm going to make you a, a great nation. He made, his baby started having babies. His baby started having babies. They went to Egypt uh, by the uh, miraculous turn of events and through this guy named Joseph that was uh, Abraham's uh, great-grandson. Is that right? His, his great-grandson. And uh, he was the ruler over all Egypt. He saved the people from certain famine and death by being the, the second command of all of Egypt. And then these people, as they grew in number, the Egyptians got jealous of them. They started to oppress them, and then they ended up becoming just total slaves. And the people cried out under slavery for 400 years, they cried out. And so this one man who was born a Jew, born a slave there in Egypt, miraculously, providentially, the people thought God was nowhere to be seen. The, God's name isn't even mentioned early in the book of Exodus. God miraculously and providentially saves Moses, and he is adopted into Pharaoh's household. He becomes Pharaoh's grandson. Until the day, one day, he, he at some point realizes that he's a Jew. He ooh, he He's a Jew, and so we have a little uh, a wrinkle there in the story, and he starts to identify with his fellow uh, Jews, and he sees that they're oppressed. And one day he sees an Egyptian who is beating and poorly treating one of his own brothers, uh, his, the, his own people, and Moses decides he's going to take it into uh, uh, into his own hands, and he kills that Egyptian and buries him in the sand. And uh, later on, we learned that M Moses, by doing so, thought he was going to lead the Jews into an uprising, and he was going to be the one who was going to free them. But the Jews didn't go along, and neither did the Egyptians. And all of a sudden, he finds himself a man who was born a Jew but adopted as an Egyptian. Now he is, he is wanted by neither. He's rejected by both, and he has to run out into the wilderness to save his life. 
So now this man who was the prince of Egypt, who had the world at his fingertips, who had the world below him, who had the advantage of wealth and power and education, who was in charge, who was big and bold and a a big man on campus, all of a sudden he finds himself without a country, without a people, lost in the middle of the desert. He's 40 years when he kills the man in Egypt, and now he spends not a year, not two years. I don't know how, like, what kind of a tough uh, road that you've hoed, like, but, and, and I'm not, wait, some of us have had a very difficult time. He spent 40 years in the desert. 40 years doesn't sound like you're passing through anymore, does it? At some point, you just think, hey, this is who I am. At one point, it seems like a dream, but I once was a prince of Egypt. But now, I'm just some stinking shepherd who doesn't even own his own sheep that he's taking care of. They belong to his father-in-law. Then you guys have seen the movies and the, you know the story. We've been walking through it. All of a sudden, he's looking, he's out and he's with his sheep and he sees a bush that's burning but doesn't burn up on the side of the mountain. And he goes up and he meets God, And that's kind of what we've been running through the past few weeks is this encounter that he has with God and what happens there. After 40 years as a forgotten man, Moses finally meets him. But it's interesting what happens. Like Moses put in some sweat equity in this, into his life, right? I mean, he's paid the penalty for killing that man and for thinking that he was gonna lead the people into, into freedom. He's forgotten outside the backside of the desert, Scripture paints it as. Not just the desert, the backside of the desert. That's like where I grew up, like the backside of the country. Not the country, the backside of the country. That's where I grew up. It doesn't even have a name, really. We're close to Toddville, if that tells you anything. On the backside of the desert, he's forgotten man. He's sitting out there. And what does God do when he meets him? He meets the almighty creator God. He asks him what his name is. God reveals his name. And then God says, here's what I want you to do. You're gonna go back to Egypt. I would think Moses would probably be a little bit disappointed with the mission that God gives him. Because he's thinking, God, in case you didn't see it, I already tried this freeing the people when I actually had power and notoriety and people knew who I was and I was a big deal. Now I'm nobody, I'm 80 years old, I'm forgotten and I'm back here and I know you're calling me back there but by the way, they also want me dead. And God is gonna send him back to Egypt. And for you and I, as we find our place in this journey, we're always gonna find ourselves in this same situation. God always sends us back to our Egypt with his words and his power. That's what we're gonna see today as we fly through this passage, that God sends us back to the site of our brokenness, God sends us back to our people, and he sends us back with his words and power. First of all, he sends us back to the site of our brokenness. Think about that. 
as Moses is standing in front of God and God tells him, all right, go back to Egypt. And he even tells him in this passage, look, the people who wanted you dead no longer want you dead. All of a sudden, Moses, this 80-year-old decrepit, or well, I don't know he's decrepit, but he's bro- broken down certainly more than he was the last time the Egyptians saw him, forgotten, no longer a power. He, he looks and smells He's the, he, of a shepherd. He's the fits the profile of a shepherd who lives out in the middle of the wilderness. He's poor. We know he's poor because it says that he goes and he has to ask his father-in-law that he can leave. And when he leaves, it says that he sticks his wife and his sons on the back of a donkey and goes back. There's no caravan going back into Egypt with him. They roll up some blankets or whatever, throw them on a donkey, and it's like a, like, like a western, like there's some frying pans hanging from the donkey, and they got some fat back rolled up in there and whatever, and this is whatever they can fit. They're going on the journey. They're going back, and that's kind of all that they had. And now he's going to go back, and God doesn't just tell him, hey, I want you to go back and introduce yourself to the Israelites, but he tells him, I'm sending you back to Pharaoh himself. Think of how embarrassing that would be for Moses. He's going to have to go back and stand in the court of Pharaoh, who could have been one of his dudes, because it's a new Pharaoh now that's in charge. It could have been one of his brothers or the other fellow grandsons that he was playing with. And now he's a dirty, stinky, poor, forgotten shepherd who has been running for his life for the past 40 years, and he's got to go stand in front a Pharaoh, and he has to face his defeat. He has to face the place. He has to go back to the site of his own brokenness. God always sends us back to the scene of our own defeat. Because for the believer, the place of defeat has become the place of victory. Think about it. I wonder at this point, now that Moses has finally met God, if he would trade the past 40 years that he spent in the wilderness. Day after day after day, cold night after cold night after cold night, stinky sheep after stinky sheep, remembering what it was like one time, I think one moment in God's presence was suddenly worth 40 years of toil and labor and being forgotten in the middle, the backside of the desert. And that's like for us as believers. Think about what brought you to the point where you finally saw, where you finally were tired of carrying your own burden and you finally were faced with your own, the fact that you could not save yourself. Do you remember that moment? Maybe it's at a church service like this, or maybe they're stained glass, or maybe you're sitting alone or in your car, or you're listening to a preacher, or you saw somebody on TV, but whatever the moment was, maybe somebody was sitting in Burger King and they were sketching out a diagram of the, the bridge diagram on a napkin to you across the table, but for whatever reason, at some moment, all of a sudden you realize that you couldn't save yourself and Jesus Christ had paid the penalty for you. All of a sudden, what it took to break you to get you to that point. And I know some of your stories. There's some crazy thing that took to break some of you people. There's some crazy thing that took to break me. And God will do whatever is necessary to get us to that point. 
But that point of defeat becomes the sweetest place. It becomes a place of blessing. Because whatever it cost, we met God. And God will always send us back to that same place of brokenness after we've met him. You know what that means? That means if you feel like your life is in shambles, you're in the perfect place for grace this morning. Because if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, if you've never trusted him as your savior, the only requirement for you is to realize that you have empty hands and you can't save yourself. And all of a sudden, the shambles that your life is in will become the place of blessing for you as you meet God there. And then you know what else it means? It means that for you and I, as we are, if you're a believer in Christ and you're like figuring out like, what do I do with my life? Where is God sending me? What can I do? My life is, is kind of a mess. I don't have all my stuff together. That you are in the perfect place to minister for God in your own place of brokenness and need. You don't have to give people anything profound and amazing. You don't have to have a great speech prepared. You don't have to have your life together. All you have to say is, look, my life is in shambles. My life was in shambles, but God met me there and he will meet you in your shambles as well. And because you can relate people will be able to listen to you. Not because you have your life together, but because the very fact that you do not have your life together. God will always send us back to the place of our own brokenness, the sight of our own brokenness. You see, now Moses could finally, he grew up in the, the palace and he had every privilege that he, that he wanted at any given time. But now after 40 years of running for his life and being forgotten and being poor and working for his father-in-law and not even owning his own stinking sheep and he's sitting out in the middle of the desert and he feels forgotten, all of a sudden he can relate. All of a sudden he can relate to the outcast. All of a sudden, he can relate to the oppressed. All of a sudden, he can relate to the devalued and the nameless because he has been devalued and everybody has forgotten his name and he has been an outcast and he has experienced oppression. And that's why when he goes back to his people, all of a sudden, he can go with compassion and say, I know what it's like because I've been there. I'm in there now. I just rode in with a donkey, my wife, two kids, and a staff. That's all I brought. God sends us back to the place, to the site of our own brokenness. And then God sends us back to our people. Because see, when God saves us, he saves each of us out of our own Egypt. Egypt in this the, the book of Exodus is a picture of the world that we were saved out of. And each of us in this room have our own Egypt that we were saved from. Each of us have our own story. You heard a bit, a little bit of the, some of the stories up here today. Giving up on life, giving up on marriage, homeless, broken. 
And others of us share those kind of same stories. We each come from our own unique Egypt. And God will send us back to the people in our own Egypt, the people that we understand our people. You know what I mean by that? Like there's a certain people that because of the brokenness that you've experienced, because of the background that you have, there's certain people that you just kind of understand, that you get, right? Like, like you're at a party, and it's kind of interesting how this happens. You're at a party, and it kind of, at first everybody's kind of uncomfortable, and you're kind of milling around, and then you find your people at the party. There might be only be one of them. But you find your people and all of a sudden it's like high school all over again and each sort of like little click kind of collects to itself over at each because there's people that understand each other. We understand language and background. We know where we're coming from. We're, uh, we share common experiences. And Megan is, is, is amazing. Megan and I can be at a gathering and within like five minutes, I'll see Megan talking to uh, another woman, probably somebody younger, probably somebody who comes from a broken home or has had uh, a difficult life because that's kind of Megan's background. They just draw drawn to each other. They understand each other's language. And God always sends us back to our people. Sometimes we don't want to, sometimes that past is so hurtful that we don't even want to think about that. We want to pretend like none of that ever happened. But that's exactly the people that God sends us back to because it's the people that we understand and they understand us. The familiarity, so, uh, so, so when Moses goes back He's one of the Jews, and so he, now he goes back to the Jews. He, he's familiar with them. He understands their, their language. He understands their background. He understands their plight. And yet, there's a contrast because of that familiarity between his changed life between meeting God and their life. And when God sends you back to your people, each of us have our own people. When God sends you back, that familiarity because you understand each other, yet that'll create a greater contrast because they will see your changed life and it will stand out all the more starkly. Maybe you experienced uh, incredible, incredibly sad background, uh, issues in your life. Maybe you, were, maybe you were abused in some way. Think of what hope it brings to somebody who is in abuse or coming out of abuse for you to sit down with them and say, you know, I'm not running from that anymore. I own, this is what I've been through. This is what I still struggle with. But as you start to talk with them and you're open and honest with and real with them, they can see the difference that Jesus Christ has made in your life. How he is binding up your broken heart and how you found hope before where you had no hope. All of a sudden, it stands in stark contrast. And then a quick note here. Notice that Moses isn't just going to visit in Egypt. He's taking his family there. He's moving there. He's identifying with the Israelites. He's becoming one of them. And that's the picture of us as believers in Christ. The Bible calls us sojourners in this world. That's the picture that we are passing through this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's somewhere else. But yet we, we live here as as uh, members of our society where we 
are, we have businesses here, we go to school here, we own where we live, and that's what it's like to be to go back to our own Egypt. We're sojourners there. We have been saved and bought with a price, and we're going somewhere else, but yet uh, we own where we are and where we have been with the people that we relate to. And then notice real quick, not everybody will believe. As Moses is going back God tells him Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened and he's not going to believe. But he still had to speak and do what exactly God told him to do. Real quickly, God sends us back to the side of our own brokenness. He sends us back to our people, the people that we understand. And then he sends us back with his words and power. This is very important. God told Moses exactly what he had to say and do. And we see in verse 31 the result of even Moses' halting, delayed obedience. He's, as as uh, Justin covered last week, he was reluctant, he resisted, but finally he obeyed. Uh, he, he, would, he, kept, he keeps, in fact, through the rest of the story, he's kind of dragging his feet at times. But yet he shows up and he speaks the words that God told him to do. He does the deeds that God tells him to do. And the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. This week was, uh, uh, was Batch the Future Day. For any of you fellow nerds, you kind of know about that. It's not the, the other hoaxes. It's actually real Back to the Future Day, October 21st, 2015. That's pretty cool, right? I mean, we have most of what they had except the hover, hoverboards. Um, but every, pretty much everything else, we kind of had so that giant Jaws hologram that came and ate them. But, but that, we, we kind of had everything else. It's kind of cool like that day. But remember, remember the guy Biff? And he, he got the almanac, and so he knew what was going to happen in all the sports, the sports almanac, you know what was going to happen in all the sports games. And then he goes back to the past, or he sends it back to himself in the past, and then he uses all those results, and he bets, and he builds this huge empire, and the whole future is changed. Think of what it would be like if you had a coach, if, if you had a coach of a football team, and he had that almanac. And he knew every play that was going to be run in every game. He wouldn't need a team of amazing players. He would just need people who would be obedient and stand exactly where he told them to stand. It doesn't make any sense, coach. The linebacker doesn't line up here. It doesn't matter. You stand right there and just look up. But, but what about, no, just stand there and look up. Trust me. And you're standing there. You're like, I don't even know why I'm in this game. I don't know why I'm standing here. It's not what I'm supposed to be doing. And you look up and all of a sudden the ball comes right to you and you intercept the pass. If you had a coach who knew every play that was gonna happen, all you would have to do is stand exactly where he told you to stand and do exactly what he told you to do, whether you had talent or ability or not. You're gonna win. You're gonna mop the floor with the opposing team. And when God sends us back to our people, when God sends us back to the site of our own brokenness, he knows everything that's gonna happen. And all he says is, just stand here and do what I tell you to do. Stand here and say the words that I'm gonna give you. I've got this. You don't have to win the game. I've got it all under control. Moses, you're 80 years old. You're forgotten 
And you have a few parlor tricks in your, bat, in your bag and you're gonna say some words to these people. And Moses is like, I don't think that's gonna do it. But God moves upon the people's hearts and they believe. All we have to do is just follow. God does the heavy lifting and therefore he gets the glory. And in doing so, we're following the path of the greatest eldest son. God talks about the Israel being his eldest son in this story. We're following the path of the greatest eldest son, Jesus, who left the presence of God to come to Egypt, to his Egypt, to know what our lives was like. He met us in our slavery and showed us the miraculous love of the Father. He said he only did what he saw and heard the Father doing. And then he sends us back out through the apostles. He told us not to worry about what we will say that the spirit will give us the words. He told us he was leaving us his spirit who would lead, instruct, guide, and empower us as we go forward. He said that we would do even greater works than, than himself through that power. And what that means is that as we reach out to help people physically, emotionally, and spiritually, that he will give us exactly what we need at each moment. So here's what I want you to do when we're done. So look around at your life and see the mess that God has found you in. Even if you're still in that mess right now. And get excited that God can and will and does use you right there in your own brokenness and your mess. And know that he is sending you back. He sends you back to the site of your brokenness to your people, to the people that you understand with his words and power. So let's, each of us, as we, we gather here to worship on Sunday morning, as we scatter leaving here today, let's scatter to go back to the people that you and I, that I, let me go back to the people that I, only I can uniquely reach. There are people that you can only uniquely reach where you're that intersection of your brokenness and your, uh, your people that you understand right there in that sweet spot. Go back to those people and be a, trophies, be a trophy of God's grace there knowing that he will give you the words and the power because it's what he does. It's what he loves to do. God always sends us back to our Egypt with his words and with his power. I'm gonna pray and the band's gonna come up. They're gonna, or Jamin's gonna come up. He's gonna lead us in an interlude. We're gonna take some time just to uh, pray for just a, about a minute as he plays, for us to pray, to think, like as we approach the table this morning, the, the body of Jesus has broken for us and the blood that's shed for us. Let's think about maybe you need to confess some sin before him this morning. Maybe you are not a believer. You need to place your faith and trust this morning in your own brokenness this morning. Know that he fills that gap for you. Or maybe each of us, I hope every one of us will take a moment to think about Where's where's the intersection of my brokenness and my people that I understand that God is calling me back to? And to think about maybe a tangible way that you can love and serve and care for the people there and be a trophy of God's grace. Father, I pray for us this morning that you would um, give us confidence this morning that you have called us back to the place of our own brokenness, 
not something to be ashamed of, to, but to stand back there and say, God has saved me miraculously and amazingly. And I pray that you would uh, show each of us a way that we can minister and love people out of that brokenness. Not run away from it, but minister to them right there, even if we're still in it, by being a trophy of your grace there. In your son's name we pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.